What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to not let you lose a lot of money here. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, now I have heard of sell the news. But this is ridiculous. Today we've got some good news about the trade talks with China. And after initially erupting higher, the averages sold off and then they sold off dramatically. Dow closing down 207 points, S&P sinking 0.39%, NASDAQ losing 0.23%. Although all these indices were down much, much more intraday, particularly the NASDAQ. It was an unsettling reminder that stocks remain fragile and the asset class simply is not capable of handling severe selling all at once, which is the case and therefore, it's almost entirely machine-driven. Why do I think it's machines doing the selling? Because the action today had nothing to do with trying to find the right price or the best price. The machines just went out, and they're not price-sensitive at all. That's the opposite of what actual humans do when they work orders to get a better than the average price at the end of the day. That's what you're really shooting for. Now, this cuts both ways. I know that. Sometimes stocks were higher because the machines don't care about price. But whether we're on the way up or the way down, this approach is equally obtuse. If it were actual humans doing the selling, they would instruct their brokers to find buyers first. They would walk away if there are none to be found. They'd let the bids build so the stock goes higher without them. And that's not what happened midday. Instead, we had multiple sellers that didn't give a darn about price. They didn't give it a second thought, which is a classic sign that these decisions are being made by algorithms, not by people. It's autopilot. Look, don't get me wrong. In Friday night's game plan, I very specifically warned you to expect turbulence this week ahead of the jobs data. Remember, that report comes out Friday. I don't object to the fact that we went down today. And a lot of people say, oh, Kramer, you're just a bull. No, I don't mind that we went down one bit. I object to how we went down. The speed of vicious velocity that freaks people out and calls into question once again whether this asset class is even worth owning. The house of pain. Can it be trusted? What makes me so certain this selling was mindless? Simple. I don't hear a single, I didn't, not all day, that I hear a single cogent explanation for the massive, relentless selling sell, 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 sell. that engulfed the averages a little afternoon today. Selling that led up the moment we hit some sort of magical level, whatever the machine said it was, S&P 500, Dow, NASDAQ. I thought it was Dow down 400 with some magic level because then the onslaught stopped. So what caused the decline? Honestly, this is going to sound absurd, but it's going to be honest. We don't know. We haven't got a clue about why hedge funds figured out they had to sell today or what levels were the right ones or levels were the wrong ones, particularly in the high-flying growth stocks. Money managers don't issue a press release outlining their motivations. We need to guess what they're thinking. And I got to tell you, again, it's just guesses. Anybody who tells you this is what they were doing, they don't know. That's why I want to walk you through some potential explanations here. Potential. The reasons why someone might decide to sell this aggressively without any thought, any guidance, or frankly, any brain. 
First and most obvious, maybe a bunch of investors are simply selling the news. Or more accurately, they're trying to sell ahead of the people they expect to sell on the news of a trade deal with China. Get that? It's a second derivative. Uh, So when we hear that we might be on the cusp of a deal, as we did this morning, well, some of these algorithms might have hit some levels and some of these money managers said, let's just get out. Does it make any sense? Well, there's always the possibility that the negotiations trade down, something the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said could pretty much occur at any minute now. Well, that's not very reassuring. If you think this is a sell-the-news-worthy event, then this might be the perfect time to sell, especially since you never know what you're going to get from the Trump White House. But when it comes to China, I think selling the news is actually going to turn out to be a real bad idea. Remember, the market melted down in the fourth quarter on a one-two punch of a more hawkish Federal Reserve, followed by Vice President Mike Pence's bellicose speech about the need to contain China. He made this sound like less of a trade war, more like the Cold War. When Fed Chief Jay Powell changed his view two months ago, repudiating his very early plan, uh, his earlier plans for a series of rate hikes, the market took off. Similarly, if we get a trade deal where China reduces its tariffs and allows our companies to do more business in the People's Republic just by themselves without the need to form outrageous joint ventures with Chinese companies that often steal their intellectual property, well, that would be a huge positive. It would be additive to earnings, raising numbers. We, 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 why wouldn't we pay? more for the stocks of American companies with major Chinese exposure. It makes no sense to me. They should go higher. Sure, the semiconductor plays have already run in anticipation, up 40% for the bottom. But the industrials and financials, they sure haven't. Why should we sell a stock like that of American Express, given that it might be finally able to break into the gigantic $6.8 billion credit card Chinese market? Why should we sell the stock of United Technologies, which might see a dramatic uptick in Otis Elevators? There are dozens of stocks that ought to be making new highs now that the Fed's on hold, and the White House seems to be on the cusp of a deal with China. Of course, if there's no deal, then today's sellers may end up looking pressured. But I really don't think the averages reflect an imminent end to the trade war here. What else might have caused today's decline? Maybe the sellers are reacting to how far stocks have already run, especially now that the S&P has failed to break out above the 2800 level after four attempts, four failed attempts, four tops. Not a singing group. For money managers who watch the charts, there's a good reason to get out. Then there's the issue of valuation. Did you notice that even when the averages were in free fall, there were some stocks that barely got dinged? Namely, the double A FANG stocks, because they now have become much cheaper than than the cloud stocks. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, a.k.a. Alphabet. In fact, other than Netflix, the whole group ended up rallying today. Uh, what sets these stocks apart? Well, Apple trades at 15 times this year's earnings estimates. Do you know that Facebook trades at only 22 times next year's earnings estimates? Alphabet trades at just 24 times this year's estimates. $100 billion in cash here. In short, they've become cheap on valuation. High-quality stocks with relatively low price earnings multiples managed to hang in there today. Same with, uh, with high-growth non-cloud, non-semiconductor stocks. You know, get a load of this. Do you know that Apple was up almost a dollar? Alphabet, nearly five bucks. Facebook, more than five dollars. Amazon, I know that's expensive, but still up 24 and change. What does that tell you? But the high-flying cloud kings, well, they got slammed. These companies don't have much margin for error. Their stocks have run so much that Wall Street will punish them for anything less than perfection. That's what happened when Workday reported on uh, just last week. I thought the quarter was very good, yet the stock still got annihilated. Same with Salesforce tonight. Stay tuned. We will speak to Mark Benioff, co-CEO of Salesforce.com. I don't think you want to make a move until you've digested what he has to say. Yep, value stocks suddenly seem to be, well, valuable again. And the high-flying cloud stocks, they look precarious. We also know that there are a host of ETFs that can take down this whole group of these. 
The cloud companies tend not to have much in the way of buybacks or dividends or even earnings, which creates a situation where their shareholders are easily spooked because they've got nothing to fall back on. And yes, there are plenty of hedge fund managers, get this, plenty of them that own the cloud names simply because they were going up with no regard for what the underlying companies actually do. The final potential culprit behind today's sell-off, the market was overbought coming into today, meaning we'd run up too far too fast. The averages have rallied for so many straight weeks that you better believe there are fund managers who say, enough is enough. We're due for a pullback. I want to get out ahead of it. Basically, you've got a contingent of very smart people who don't want to get caught holding the bag after a big move. If you're a hedge fund manager and you put money to work in the techs, particularly the semis and the cloud kings, I think you'd be nuts not to take something, not anything off the table here. It's been an incredible run, people. And those uh, hedge fund managers uh, know that nobody ever got hurt taking a profit, something I preach to you nightly. Or maybe they're shorting a basket of stocks that they now proceed to be overvalued. I can't blame them to do that either. So what do you do? Here's the bottom line. These pullbacks typically last for more than a day. I think the sellers will return, whether we get a deal with China or we don't. Be patient. Maybe even sit on your hands, but be ready to pounce when the machines take over again and drag the averages down to unsustainably low levels in a heartbeat like we saw earlier this afternoon. Their indiscriminate selling can eventually give you an excellent entry point, as it always has, as long as you don't jump the gun and are thoughtful and longer term in your perspective and your approach to owning the stocks of fantastic, fast-growing companies. Glenn in Indiana. Glenn! Jim, I want to thank you for all you do for us home gamers. Ah, oh, you're terrific. Thank you. With the price of copper having moved up the last seven months, and we may have a trade deal with China, I was wondering what you think of Freeport McMoran. You know what? I am balance sheet oriented. I know this stock has been creeping up. I totally get that. But I see a lot of high-quality companies with great balance sheets that are coming down. They're not necessarily levered directly to minerals, but they're levered to tech uh, or levered to industrials that do business in China. They're the better buy. Let's go to Philip in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Philip! Hey, Kramer. Big booyah from the Seal City of Pittsburgh. Oh, How are man. You? Good teams. What's up? Hey, my question is about Big Lots. It's coming off of a high of around $40 in December. And it's got its earning reports this Friday with projected EPS of around 2.3. Right. Is this a buy? Okay, it's a very inexpensive stock. It does have almost a 4% yield. However, that has not prevented these retailers that are out of uh, out of favor to come down. There was a big downgrade I saw last week. I would prefer not to play the, uh, the guessing game ahead of earnings here. All right. I think selling the news in this particular case, is not going to play out for you. But stocks are fragile, and I don't think this will end in one day. More selling ahead before you need to buy. Or may have money tonight. Is the force still with Salesforce after earnings as I just went over? I'm going to sit down with the CEO fresh off that report. Then I'm reevaluating a couple of newly minted IPOs, Yeti, Moderna, and Tencent Music, to see if their early gains were just a flash of the pan. FITP. And it's a stock that rose 130% in 2018, 20% in January alone. But could today's drop in Alteryx be a buying opportunity or a red flag? Oh, that's great. Well, I got the CEO, so stay tuned. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Oh, man, was this an ugly day for the cloud-based software stocks, the Kings. After running up dramatically since the December lows, these high flyers are now getting pounded. Why? Because at a certain point, stocks reach a level where they're priced for perfection. And anything less than that results in selling. Take Salesforce, CRM, the longtime Kramer fade that's practically the embodiment of the cloud cohort. Stock closed down six bucks today as part of this overall sell-off. Then Salesforce reported a strong quarter to the close, and the stock got hit. It got hit pretty heavily in after hours trading. Now, this was a really good quarter, people. A top and bottom line beat with management raising their full year guidance. However, it wasn't perfect. Salesforce guidance for the next quarter was a bit weaker than expected. Given how much this stock had run going into the numbers, anything less than perfection was going to be viewed negatively. But if history is any guide, any guide at all. This week, this may turn out to be a terrific buying opportunity. So let's take a close look with Mark Benioff. He's the founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Salesforce. Learn more about his quarter, his company, and the prospects. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Bad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. And hello from San Francisco. Thank you, Mark. Look, let's just get right to it. Mark, I, I've known you for years. And I know that when I see the stock go down like this, Every single time it's been buying opportunity, we know that empirically, people are saying that you missed first quarter, your April quarter uh, profit forecast, and that therefore people should sell it. I look at the full year, and I just can't believe that anyone reaches that conclusion. Am I wrong, or are the sellers right? Well, we're only giving first quarter guidance for the first time right now, Jim, uh, so we haven't missed any numbers. And number two, we're raising our full-year fiscal guidance to $16 billion. That's amazing. In fact, there's never been a faster-growing enterprise software company at this level. Well, okay, so let's try to figure out whether there is some gravitas to what, what you're predicting or not. You're looking at a full year. Should we really decide that there was that you are concerned? What is there going to be weakness that your sales force has indicated to you or Keith Block, your co has indicated to you that there is something wrong in the pipeline and you got to flag it? Jim, we just had a fantastic fourth quarter and we're taking a look at those numbers right now. And you can see them in front of you. It was an amazing quarter. In fact, we beat our revenue estimates quite handily. And as part of that, well, you mentioned Keith Block. He closed the largest transaction, you know, in our history and the largest transaction ever in Barclays history. It was a deep nine-digit transaction to help automate their 50 million customers. It really goes to show how the three major trends that are playing out computing today, the cloud, broad digital transformation, and a focus on the customer can really impact um, our company by a creating a huge deal, and also being able to support a huge transformation at Barclays. Okay, Mark, I'm not hearing you say, and I'm sure, I'm sure because you've been on the show forever, you could say, listen, there are some macro forces that are causing me to be a little less bullish. There are some issues and some competitors that are making me be a little less bullish. I'm not hearing that. No, Jim. Jim, I feel great about our business. I've always felt great about it. I mean, we're coming up on our 20-year anniversary this Friday. It's been 20 years that have been unbelievable to us. Here we are, 
coming up on a year that we're going to do $16 billion in revenue. That far exceeds my expectation. I still have never been more excited about Salesforce than I am right now. And when I look at the short term, you know, I see $20 billion right around the quarter. I see $30 billion right around the quarter. In fact, we initiated a four-year guidance today, Jim, of 26 to $28 billion. Well, that's never been done by anybody at that speed. Uh, no, I see, it has not, Jim. Right. I see new clients. I and see, I'll tell you another example is right. you can look at a great deal that we did this quarter with Amgen, you know, a tremendous, tremendous biotechnology company. And again, this is a company that's really expanding with our health cloud. This is our vertical strategy to build products specifically for certain industries. And in this case, our health cloud is going to help Amgen connect with their customers in a whole new way. Okay, well, Mark, this is really important because uh, I, I take uh, Amovic, okay, which is migraine drug. Right now, Lilly is a competitor, and Lilly is really good at dealing with the consumer. Everybody knows that Amgen goes through McKesson, which is not as good. Are you making it so that they can somehow appeal the consumer directly? Because that could blunt what the competitor Lilly has. Jim, you know that this is true, that every B2B company and B2C company is becoming a B2B2C company. What company does not have to directly connect with the consumer? Not just Amgen, everybody. I mean, you could be a traditional industrial company, we've talked about that before, who's selling to B2B resellers. You have to be ready in this kind of connected digital revolution to be able to connect directly to your consumer as well. That's a major trend that we've benefited from for so many years now, and you're going to see that continue to play out, and that's certainly something driving this relationship with Amgen as well. All right, so I'm in Milan. Uh, and I go to the Milan Fashion Week, and there's this fellow, Brunello Cuccinelli. I mean, this is the highest fashion in the world. Why does he need Salesforce, Mark? Well, I'm so glad you had a good trip to Italy, Jim, <laughs> and you saw some Salesforce customers, which was exciting. And you're right, you saw Brunello Cuccinelli, one of the great fashion brands in the world. And we've completely transformed Brunello Cuccinelli because he has, he has actually touches the customer in many different forms. And let's talk about that. One, yes, he has a direct B2C relationship, right? He's online with them. We run his website, BrunelloCuccinelli.com. You go into his stores. That's a direct con consumer connection. But did you know he's a B2B company also, Jim? Well, that's because he's selling to resellers who are reselling his products in some of the big retail stores around the world. He's a B2B and a B2C company. We have to bring it all together with him and give him a single view of his customer, that's the transformation he has to go through and has gone through, and that's why he's had such great growth. We're so excited for him. One last question. I see Google as a customer. Mark, why does Google need you? Google, they're geniuses. Well, Google is one of our largest customers, Jim. You know that, and the reason why is Google's a highly diversified company with a lot of different businesses who sell to a lot of different customers all over the world. It's not just the search company, it's not just the cloud company, it's many companies. And they need tools to be able to bring all their customer information together in a consistent way. They have to be able to do it easily, and they have to actually do it at a low cost. That's why Salesforce has been so successful for Google, and that, that's really exciting for us. But i got to go back to Italy, Jim, because okay. another great example isn't just Brunello Cuccinelli. What about Lamborghini? I heard you went there, too. Well, we test drove a Lamborghini. I didn't know why they needed you, but apparently they, they do that because they like to be in touch with the customer. Well, here's another great example. Of course, Lamborghini is actually traditionally a B2B-type company. They're selling to their dealers. They're making sure their dealers are successful. Some of those dealers are not even owned by Lamborghini. But now they need to be able to connect with their customer in real time, all the time, 
They're also a B2C direct customer. And that's why the new Urus, which is the car that you saw in Italy, Jim, their new SUV, is built entirely on Salesforce. It's the connected Lamborghini. That's a vision for all car companies in the future, that they can directly connect with you, not just connect with their dealer. And that's the B2C and B2B transformation that we're talking about. It's remarkable. Of course, it's causing husband to be pitted against wife. It's a beautiful car. But, Mark, (laughs) I want to thank you. And I didn't hear that. We already know how that's going to work out, Jim. (laughs) Thank you very much. Jim, you should do that for your wife. She does a lot for you. True, true. (laughs) Yes, true. 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 Ciao, Jim. True. See you next quarter. (laughs) Okay, that's Mark Petty, a founder, chairman, and co CEO of Salesforce CRM. What can I say? I mean, like, you know, it's going to go down. And what's been the right thing to do since the stock was at eight when he first came on? You buy it. Everybody's back in for the break. Now that the averages are finally pulling back after a phenomenal rally in the first two months of the year. Buy, 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 buy. Something I warned you about in last Friday's game plan. What are you supposed to do with the previously red-hot stocks that are now getting slammed today? Maybe this year I highlighted three recent IPOs that seemed to flop because of poor timing. They had the misfortune of coming public during the fourth quarter bear market. And I told you they were worth buying into weakness. I stuck my neck out, and I was afraid, like everybody else. But it didn't happen. Let's see, if you go back, remember what these were? The first one was Yeti, okay? And that's a maker of premium camping supplies like coolers. I know I use the products. Then there was Moderna, a biotech unicorn, which I had met at the January uh, healthcare conference by J.P. Morgan. And then Tencent Music Entertainment, widely hailed as the Chinese version of Spotify. Each of these stocks nosedive right out of the gate to the point where they became too cheap to ignore. I recommended Yeti in November, then Bless Moderna and Tencent Music for speculation in December. Since then, they've given you some terrific gains. Yeti's up 35%, Moderna's up 12%, Tencent Music's up 34%. However, Yeti and Moderna both got eviscerated today as part of the sell-off, each losing more than 5%, and Tencent Music lost a few pennies. I'm sure down 5%, you start freaking out. I'm doing this piece so you don't, but I also know you don't want to be greedy. Is this a sign that you need to ring the register or should you buy the dips? I think that's the question that's on everybody's mind tonight. So let's take them one by one, starting with Yeti Holdings. Here's a fast-growing company that makes high-performance outdoor gear, especially coolers, drinkware, think bottles, mugs, tumblers, which I love, everything that you you need if you don't want to drink straight from the source when you go camping. Yeti came public near the end of October, and the stock stumbled right out of the gate. In mid-November, I told you it was worth picking up for speculation, 17 bucks and change. But I also warned you it might be a bumpy ride because the market was so unstable. Sure enough, Yeti plunged down to $12.40 at the December lows on no real news. Since then, the stock's come roaring back. It's surging up to $23 and change as of today. That's up more than 90% from its lows, even after today's shellacking. What's driving this story? Good numbers. That's what's driving it. When you see good numbers driving a story, it means it's got some staying power. In early January, Yeti pre-announced some fantastic fourth quarter results, much better than Wall Street was expecting, and the stock got a nice pop, although it wasn't a huge move as investors still seemed a little skeptical. Then when the company reported its full quarterly results a few weeks ago, the numbers were even better than we'd been led to believe. To top it all off, 
Yet he also gave excellent full-year guidance, thanks in part to the company's rapidly growing direct-to-consumer DTC business. Stock jumped more than 17% on the news, and the darn thing continued to charge higher until today's big reversal, where they you know, shot, a, shot, out a, a shot a lot of winners like a Yeti. So what do you do with Yeti up here? Even after today's reversal, the stock's still up dramatically from where it was trading when I gave it my endorsement in November. Then again, Yeti's business is also in much better shape than we thought it was. The company's got four major initiatives here. They appeal to new customers, introduce new products, expand internationally, and grow that fabulous direct-to-consumer business, which was up an astounding 45% in the last quarter. I think Yeti's plan is working, and I think the stock is pretty darn cheap here, selling it for just 19 times next year's earnings estimates, which is a very attractive valuation for a profitable company that's growing with 19% revenue growth. That's what we're looking for. However... Get this. This is something you got to be put in your calendar. Yeti's lockup on insider sales expires in a little more than six weeks on April 23rd, my late mom's birthday. And that tends to put additional pressure on a stock. So proceed with caution for this brief window. OK, as much as we believe in this business, I also know the stock can take a lot more punishment before the pain comes to an end. If you want to buy Yeti, I think you might get a better chance. Let it come down some more and buy it in stages. And if you already own Yeti, listen, I mean, it's not too late to ring the register on part, uh, at least part of your position at uh, at these levels, you're still got you still got some enormous gains, and nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. Okay, now next is a really hard story to understand. I spent a lot of time with management, and I found it difficult. I'm sure you do too. It's called Moderna, the early stage biotech that had the misfortune of coming public in early December, and the stock got clobbered as soon as it started trading. On December 10th, I told you it was worth considering for speculation, but you had to be prepared for more weakness. At the same time, the stock was at $18.50, come down, right? Uh, 18, I'm sorry, $18.80. It plunged to $13 the day after Christmas when so many other stocks hit a bottom, then turned around and rocketed higher. Now Moderna's at $21 after peaking at $24 about a week ago. This one's an interesting concept. Moderna's technology lets them modify messenger RNA, the biological equivalent of middle management. And effectively, reprogram the cells in your body to make all sorts of different proteins. They've got 10 different clinical trials going, treating everything from infections to cancer to cardiovascular diseases and rare genetic disorders. Their lead drug helps deal with reduced blood flow to the heart caused by a blocked artery. Rather than unclogging the artery with surgery, this was amazing to me. Moderna can turbocharge your body's ability to create new blood vessels to get around the blockage. But... It'll be at least two years before the FDA is this thing's eligible to go in front of the FDA. And that means the stock is going to be inherently risky between now and when that happens. Now, Moderna generated some major buzz when it was presented at that J.P. Morgan healthcare conference. Remember, we went out to see that. That was in January. We learned about a collaboration with Merck on a personalized cancer vaccine. Couldn't be better than partner than that. And the company told us they had $1.7 billion in cash, which makes this a very well-funded early-stage biotech. Then last month, Moderna started a phase one clinical trial very early, right, for their monoclonal antibody platform, which could have a ton of uses treating rare so-called orphan diseases, my view. While Moderna has a ton of potentially positive catalysts in the form of its research data, it also offers you very little protection if the market turns against it, like we saw today. 
There are no earnings here and no product sales. Only some milestone payments from its research partners. I think this is a fabulous long-term story, but short-term it could get clobbered. Something to keep in mind when Moderna reports on Wednesday morning. So you might want to be patient about buying this one into weakness. That said, Moderna looks a lot like the kind of biotech companies that have been getting gobbled up of late. Big Pharma needs a pipe. So maybe you don't need to be too patient. All right, last but not least, one that really excited a lot of people. It's called Tencent Music. Uh, symbols TME. That's the Chinese Spotify that's possibly better than the real Spotify. I recommended this stock on December 13th at 1351, and now it's up 34% from those levels. Tencent Music held up much better than the others today, backsliding just 0.16%. But remember, of course, it's in China, and the Chinese uh, stock market has been red hot. Even though I'm normally skeptical of Chinese companies, Tencent Music is a profitable Chinese company with amazing 84% revenue growth and the endorsement of Spotify itself, which owns 9% of the business. Not only do they have a terrific subscription business, the company's also got a ton of exposure to China's booming micropayments market. That's what we highlighted when we recommended it. So what's driving the recent strength? Tencent's music's been buoyed by positive analyst coverage. It's also gotten a major boost from the broader Chinese stock market. The Shanghai Composite is up an astounding 21% for the year in anticipation, yes, of an end to the trade war. Remember, I told you they need it more than we do. Tencent Music reports its first quarter as a public company in about two weeks, and I expect strong results. However, the stock has been a horse here. It barely pulled back today. And I don't blame anyone who wants to ring the register, at least on some, at these levels. I still like the story. But the risk-reward is a lot less favorable than it was just two months ago. Look at that chart. Come on. All right, the bottom line. When you're dealing with newly minted IPOs, the early gains can often turn out to be fleeting. So if you bought some Yeti or Moderna or Tencent Music on my recommendation, you got my blessing in this choppy moment to take something off the table here. And if you want to buy them, I bet you can get a better entry point if you're patient, given the newfound difficulties that are now plaguing this market. Let's go to Phil in California, please. Phil. Hey, Coach Kramer. What's up? First, I want to thank you. Your investing tips over the years helped my wife and I buy our first oh. house here in the, the Bay Area. Yes! And, yep. Thank you so much. Thank so you. See, that's why question, we do the show. This is why we do the show, what this gentleman said. How can I help? My question is in regards to some previous advice you gave on how Levi's going public would affect PVH and how that translates to tech stocks. So one of my major investments is New Relic, and during the earnings call, investors talked about a competitor, Datadog. How would a company like this going public affect my New Relic stock, and should I buy, sell, or hold should another performance monitoring tool come into the market? I want you to hold it. And I think that Lucerne's doing a remarkable job. He's got a lot of customers locked up. Uh, selling the stock here will probably, I mean, look, could that stock go down like the Salesforce went down? Sure, any stock can go down. But do I believe in Lucerne long term? Without question. Right, early gains in IPOs could be fleeting. If you bought Yeti, Moderna, or Tencent Music, feel free to take something off the table and there's no sin. Oh man, much more money ahead for man. But for mad money ahead, it's a company managing the deluge of data and has had a monster run over the past few months. Could today's decline in Alteryx signal a time to buy? Then what's the hottest trend in retail? Well, it may not be fashion. I'm going to take a close look at the company's mo- making moves in the space. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
on a brutal day for the market where the cloud-based enterprise software stock sold off dramatically. I kind of wonder if we're finally getting the beginning of the viable pullback that I've been waiting for for so long for one of the hottest groups around. Take Alteryx, which is a cloud-based data analytics play. It's kind of a company like Splunk or Tableau Software that you've heard me talk about that helps businesses harness their treasure troves of digital information. Alteryx came public two years ago. Okay, you're going to hear these numbers. You're not going to believe it. 14 bucks. We spoke to the CEO December of 2017. 24 bucks. Last week, the company reported a blowout quarter and the stock surged to 79 bucks. Since then, Alteryx has pulled back to 68, including today's more than five point walloping. But you, you still, you got, a, some, got some gigantic long term gains here. I think this is a high quality company with a terrific growth story, but it's tough to know where these cloud stocks will bottom when they go out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. So let's check in with Dean Stoker. He's the co founder, chairman, and CEO of Alteryx to get a better sense of how this company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Stoker, welcome back to Made Money. Good to see you, Dean. Have a seat. Well, Dean, I, I'm gonna, it's going to fall to you to do something that's kind of, I'm asking you to kind of do the impossible. How do you have growth at 55% at the level, 57, at the level you are? Because I don't think people realize how 850 people can put this kind of number up. Well, I'd love to say it's pure execution across the 800 uh, great associates around the world. A lot of this has to do with this exploding market for for data science and analytics, Jim. We're we're seeing uh, citizen data scientists around the world, 30 million of them who have been disenfranchised and locked out of the analytic process are now getting involved. And it's happening everywhere, in every vertical, every use case, in almost every country. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I was going to ask you, um, you've got a Malta gaming company, you have Abu Dhabi, a bunch of uh, Middle East clients. It seems like that everyone's kind of woken up to the idea that they have data that they better figure out or die. That's absolutely right. Data is the new oil, and I think people are finally waking up to this. It's, it's amazing that this platform is sold the same way to banks to do derivatives modeling and price uh, price equity research. It's being used by uh, uh, oh, uh, retailers to do omni-channel analytics. It's even being used by NFL teams to do on-player, uh, uh, on-field player analytics. People like uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. But do, is, is this uh, in combination with Zebra? I mean, who, wh- wh- who are they getting the data from? They're, they're, get, they're getting the data from lots of sources, both things in the stadium, around the stadium, doing social sentiment uh, during games, uh, analyzing lines in the stadium, uh, uh, season ticket holders. So analytics has become you know, very mainstream, and digital transformation in large global companies is top of mind for the C-suite. Okay, so you have clients as diversified as, say, Cisco and Dell. All right. Now, both these companies, one could hire anybody or two, I would think, are sophisticated enough to develop their own data analytics. Why do they need Alteryx? Well, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think that, that uh, what we've figured out is this data science pipeline that's being built is just very, very unique. It's a very hard challenge to, munge the, to find the data, to munge the data, to create an entire uh, pipeline of, of predictive modeling, and then actually to share it with people who, who matter most. So as a result, in Q4, we landed high-tech companies like Atlassian and Dropbox and Oracle, and even Salesforce is a customer of, of Alteryx and Tableau. Uh, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was weird. You're both, a, aren't you a competitor and a, a partner of Tableau? Uh, no, we're not competitors at all. No. They, they actually deal in probably what we would c- consider the lowest value point in okay. analytics, descriptive analytics. 
and if the world is going to get eaten by machine learning in the future, mm-hmm. people aren't going to need visualization. What they're going to need are pipelines that allow you to deploy machine learning algorithms without writing any code. And that's a big challenge today. Big challenge. You know, we know that from when we were out of Twilio, how writing code, not everybody knows how to write code, but you got to have people who know how to massage the data, so to speak. Now, one of the things that I saw uh, that is, I'm trying to figure out where you fit in the stack, but you know, we, we've been talking, say, with Splunk, and we've been talking with, uh, what, what, let's use the example of Atalassian and, and Dropbox. They are people that have been on the show. And I'm thinking, where do you sit within their organization? Because it seems like you're either the last, you're like after everybody's figured it out. And I also want you to consider what you're talking about with healthcare, because it seems like you're at the very end of healthcare. So in, in the enterprise, we're in the middle of the stack. The middle. We, we are agnostic to any of the persistence layers that house this information. Big data, little data, structured, unstructured, data in the cloud or on the ground. We don't care where the data is coming from. It can be coming from sources like New Relic or Splunk or, or Oracle or, or, or Tableau. And we also don't con, uh, con, uh, care about the consumption layer at the top of the stack. It could be any consumption layer. It could be uh, visualization. It could be machine learning algorithms being deployed onto Salesforce. We make it drop-dead easy to go from any data to any outcome anywhere on Earth. Well, why did you pick this healthcare vertical to really drill down? That's a tricky one. Well, tr- healthcare is tricky in, in general. You've got the regulatory compliance issues. Right. You've got all kinds of, of HIPAA rules and regulations. But we're doing amazing work. We, we stood up a, a vertical team in, in healthcare last year. And we're doing everything from predicting the re-entry of patients into ER to try and bend the, the cost curve for, for healthcare. We're doing uh, genome sequencing. We're doing clinical Jeez. trials. Uh, we're helping companies get reimbursed on Medicare. So it's really exciting, this, this opportunity to leverage the data that people have to eke out the 10 to $15 trillion in value that's locked up in enterprise data. Well, look, you guys are incredibly impressed. I want to congratulate what, you, know, you for what you've built in a very short period of time. You've gotten to a very high level of revenues. That is Dean Stokers, the chairman and CEO of Alteryx. And I've got to tell you guys, when the smoke clears, this is one of them that's going to rally back harder. They have money's back into the break. Very good, Jim. It is time! It's over the and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Skiing down and over the lightning round. We're going to start with Joseph in Pennsylvania. Joseph. Booyah, Jim. I'm from your neck in the woods in Wimmer. Uh, hey, what do you think about IRM? Iron Mountain, 6.80% uh, dividend yield by yourself. You know, i got to tell you, it's come down enough where I think that that yield is really worth going for, 6.8%. I'm going to say yes to that purchase, and I've been staying away from the REITs. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack. Hey, Jim. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Hey, Jim, how about I you? got a uh, stock for you here. Uh, HUI Inc. Hoya. Uh, oh, man. Oh, you know, online gaming in China, that's been shut down a lot by the government. If you want to do it chicken way, I'm actually blessing NVIDIA here. I don't think NVIDIA is going to be able to go that much more down after it's been holding at this level for some time. Daniel in Florida. Daniel. Hey, Dr. Kramer. Yo. I love your show. I love your book, Real Money. Thank you. I just you. want to say thank you for your outstanding job. Ah, thank you're very you for kind. all you do. First-time investor. Thank you. My, my stock today is AMT. What you think? What's right, your now, this is one of the few stocks that actually held in and did not go down on a high-growth day. 
and that does worry me. I think a better level's coming to be able to buy that stock. Why don't we go to Paul in Connecticut? Paul. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Thanks for all that you do. Thank you. My question is on Texas Semiconductors. I bought it a while ago. I would like to know if they're still undervalued. Uh, we've had Mr. Elcori on, and I think it is an inexpensive stock. And I think that the group is going to be reconsolidated now that China may be giving us the green light. I want you to buy Cypress or, or own it. Certainly keep it. George in Florida. George. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Hey, look, look how they... Uh I got about a 15-year time horizon. Okay. And uh, I've been holding, uh, been holding Century Aluminum. And uh, last Thursday, between Thursday, actually Wednesday and Thursday of last week, they, they dropped eight percent. Right. And because it, because of you, I was proud. I picked them up on Friday morning, and then it popped about three and a half percent. Gave a little bit of it back today. Okay. And anyway, what I wondered is, is so I think I think some uh, headwinds for them are China trade and the prices of alumina. Yeah, and, hey, look, but let me just give you the real skinny. Here's the problem there. Um, you need worldwide growth to pick up, or people aren't going to buy the stock. No different from Alcoa, no different from U.S. Steel. Only Newcore's will be able to trump worldwide growth. So let's keep that in mind. You need free, watch Freeport, too. That's going to be a good ca- tell of what's going to happen with your stock. Let's go to Richard in New York. Richard! Hey, Booyah, how are you doing? I'm good. Where's my, I got a Richard, I got a Richard thing from Funko. We're going to have to put it on the set. What's going on? Hey, I bought into APU Amerigas when it was about 35. Yeah. Quite a few lots, and it's just down now. So I was wondering, do you think I should hold on, collect dividends until it goes back up? You know, I, look, that when you get a 14% yield, I think what you have to accept the fact is someone feels they're going to cut the dividend, uh, the distribution. And this group is very hard. I need you to, like, steal yourself, but I got to tell you, I can't be hopeful because I haven't liked Amerigas for at least, I don't know, two years because I don't like that stagnant market. And that! Ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the, well, almost, 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 Richard Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Retail is not just about fashion anymore. It's not what's hot. And that's my takeaway so far from this earnings season. In the old days, we simply tried to figure out what was hot, say denim or crewnecks, and what was not, I don't know, cashmere or rope sweaters. But when you look at what's working here, it's all about influencers, purpose-driven brands, new methods of distribution, customer engagement. It's not merely what's hot versus what's not. It's whose stuff is sustainable versus whose stuff is headed for the landfill. Who's using the web effectively? Who's being left behind by the omni-channel? Particularly uh, those who just say, you know what, I got Bopus. I got uh, buy online and pick up in store. I don't need to do anymore. Just consider some of the retail winners this year. Let's start with VF Corp, a company I like a great deal. And I'll like it even more when the company finally spins off its Lee and Wrangler jeans business as a separate company called Contour. Why? Because VF Corp owns one of the hottest brands around, Vans, the sneakers business with a 27% growth rate. That's it's huge. Meanwhile, their other big brand, North Face, is ramping back to 16% growth after a tough period of so-so years. When VF Corp talks about why it's doing well, you think they talk about how they're seeing success in certain retailers or certain styles. Uh-uh! On the conference call, management repeatedly cited purpose-led performance, that's the term they kept using, and trying to improve people's lives. 
The company talks about how it powers, quote, a movement of sustainability and active lifestyles for the betterment of people and our planet. It's why we come to work, end quote. I know this sounds like a bunch of buzzwords, but in this environment, sustainability is what's in style. You also want to be B certified, meaning your company carries the B Corp certification. Think of it as a good corporate citizen seal of approval. Hey, go Google it if you don't know it. How much does this all matter? One of the more eye-opening statements of the big Gap conference call where they outlined how they're splitting the company into two was when CEO Art Peck said that he's proud that Gap's athleta brand, that's athleisure, has been B certified for more than a year. Yep. It's very important now, but it's not just that caring about people and the environment has suddenly become chic. When you look at the winners in retail, they can't stop talking about direct-to-consumer and web strategies that are driven by social media influencers and their followers. Capri Holdings, hey, that was the company formerly known as Michael Kors, which I'm really warming up to, was very open about how important it is for your brand to be hot as measured by influencers. I know their conference calls was not so hot. I know the company's been hurt by the secular decline in watches because of the Apple Watch, but I like Capri's prospects now that they've got a house of brands, including Versace and Jimmy Choo. All these retailers are pouring more and more money into the internet, especially Instagram, as a way to grab new customers. Instagram belongs to Facebook, and, and, but these companies don't seem to care at all about Facebook's bad behavior, not even the B-certified people. Hey, the stock was up five bucks today. Maybe it's dawning on people that Instagram's on fire and the way to reach consumers. Now, there's another important trend, the evolution of sneaker exchanges, where thousands of sneaker devotees swap older, more obscure versions of Nikes and Adidas, like their collectibles on eBay. I mean, one of the, these are new ones. Maybe one of these days, these are going to be collectibles. Companies like StockX, the sneaker uh, exchange owned by the brilliant Dan Gilbert, and GOAT, G-O-A-T, of course, is the greatest of all time, the exchange that Foot Locker just invested $100 million into, have become the hottest part of the apparel universe. Of course, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of fashion. You always have things going in and out of style. But these days, style's more about than just aesthetics. you got a whole new generation of shoppers who care about sustainability and purpose-driven brands. Shoppers who much prefer to buy things online. And the apparel companies that connect with these consumers are the ones that are now winning. Stick with Kramer. Is tomorrow the bottom in Salesforce? i got to tell you, I believe in the stock. I believe in Benioff. I believe in Keith Block. What more can I say? Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you tomorrow. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.